At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a world full of information, literally at our fingertips. Among all the claims of truth in the world, it can be hard to separate fact from fiction. This is often the case when it comes to the Christian faith. Do we understand the truth of what we believe, and can we articulate it to others? In The Essentials, Why Truth Matters, we'll use the affirmations of the Apostles' Creed as a guide to teaching us the core doctrines of the Christian faith. Join us each week as we affirm the foundational truths of Christianity so we can stand on the bedrock of God's truth and share that good news with the world. Happy Easter. It is great to see you here today on a beautiful Easter Sunday. Now I want to begin this morning by um, taking you back, taking you back to 1957. That's when the Detroit Lions beat the Cleveland Browns 59-14 to win the NFL championship. Why don't you wrap your mind around this for just a second. It was the third title in a six-year period. Any Lions fans under 65 years old find that incredibly hard to imagine. <laughs> it is incredibly hard to wrap our minds around because we've never seen anything like it. There's no championships here. We've not appeared in a Super Bowl. Just one playoff victory since that championship game. Let me say that again. One. <laughs> since 1957, one playoff victory. And yet... If you read the papers today, if you are following the national media right now, what you're going to find is they think the Lions are an up-and-coming NFL team. They're on the cusp of something very, very special. Even picked by some experts to win their division. I love the fact that we're still laughing. Because the reality is, if we're honest with each other, that is incredibly hard for us to buy into, isn't it? We just have a hard time wrapping our minds around that because we have been disappointed so many times. When I say three letters, you know exactly what I'm talking about. S-O-L. Same old lions. Playoff expectations for our football team are just really hard to wrap our minds around. They are hard for us to believe. Now today, on Easter Sunday, we're going to be engaging with something that is also hard for some people to believe. And the reality is it is far more significant, far more important than any silly football team. What we're talking about is something so wild, something so powerful, something so unique that it actually changed all of human history. And I'm not exaggerating. It is not an exaggeration. It changed human history. Now, of course, what I'm referencing, what I'm speaking of, is the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus the Christ. Now, for many, the resurrection is the primary reason that the Christian is actually hard for us to comprehend. If we're going to be honest in this moment, we can go down the doctrines of the faith, and that is one that sometimes causes people to say, you know what, I, I don't know that I grasp the whole thing. 
It's difficult for me to believe in. You might say, well, why is it really all that important? I mean, what if I have all the other doctrines, I get all those other things, why is this one so important? I think author Timothy Keller captures it well. Here's what he writes. He says, the Christian church is pretty much inexplicable if we don't believe in the physical resurrection. It is that important. Now, church, we are in the middle of a sermon series called The Essentials, Why Truth Matters. And as a Bible-believing church, everything begins with an acknowledgement that God's word is truth. That's what we base everything we do, everything we teach is based upon that particular truth. We believe in the word of God. Now, in addition to the word, we want to stand in agreement with believers throughout the history, throughout the history of the church, throughout century upon century upon century. We desire to be in line with the essential teachings of the Christian faith. Now, to do this, we are going to be affirming a statement of belief commonly known in the church as the Apostles' Creed. A few weeks ago, if you were here, you'll remember that we began the series by declaring that we believe in God, the creator of heaven and earth. And then we affirm that we believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. And then on Friday night, we gathered in a really powerful time for us as a church family. Right here, we declared that Jesus suffered that he was crucified, that he died, and then he was buried. Friends, these are the core doctrines of the historic Christian faith, and they are expressed very concisely with great clarity in the context of the Apostles' Creed. And so today, we come to the point in the Creed that is perhaps the most controversial. When you consider the ancient creed of our faith, many times when people get to this point, they hit the brakes a little bit because they wrestle with the fact of Jesus' resurrection. And so today, as we begin, I'd like us, right where we are, to affirm the Apostles' Creed together on this point. So read along with me. On the third day... He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Church, the scriptures and the Apostles' Creed will be our guide today. But before we dig in, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, Sovereign Lord, we thank you for inviting us here on this beautiful day. The fact that we are here with our family, the fact that we are here with our friends is not an accident to you because you are sovereign and you have invited us here for a purpose. Now the fact is some of us have had absolutely brutal weeks. It's been very difficult to get here. And yet you've sustained us. For others of us, we are riding on a wave 
of an experience with you that we can't fully understand, we can't fully comprehend. We are on this mountaintop type of experience with you. And God, wherever you find us today on that spectrum, God, we pray that you would meet with us as we open your word. As we open your word, we acknowledge that it is truth and it has everything we need to walk out our faith. And so, God, lead us in your spirit into this truth. But, God, we need eyes to see this truth. We need ears to hear this truth. And then, God, we need humble hearts before you, submitted to you, for you to do your work in us. And so we come to you with open hands, with an open heart and an open mind. Meet with us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, church, let's jump in together. Go ahead and grab your Bible. We're going to be turning to the first of two letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And as you're going there, I want to encourage you to grab your ESV Bible. If you don't have one, there could be one on the seat near you or in front of you. And uh, if you are using your mobile device, we are going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And as always, you can follow along on the screens behind me as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, our reading today is beginning at verse 20. Here's what the apostle writes. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits then, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. Now, when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Now, to put that biblical text into kind of a a one-phrase summary, it would look something like this. Jesus' victory impacts everything. I want you guys to say that with me. Jesus' victory impacts everything. His painful death on a cross, his shocking resurrection has a dramatic impact on all areas of our lives. But I'm guessing with a crowd like this on Easter Sunday, some of you are not going to accept everything I tell you. You want to do a little research for yourself. So what we're going to do is we're going to dig into God's word together. And we're going to seek to answer this question, what does Jesus' victory mean to me? 
Not just, hey, Jesus had a victory and it's in the abstract, but what does it mean for you and for me today? To understand that, we're going to consider 1 Corinthians 15. Now, what 1 Corinthians 15 does is it gives us this kind of context, this foundation for all we need to know to answer that question. What does Jesus' victory mean to me? So let's start. I'm just going to give you a little backstory to kind of lead up to today's text. Now, the apostle begins the chapter specifically in verses 3 and verse 4 by establishing that Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. It's in alignment with what the scriptures said would happen. Jesus died for our sins, that he was then buried, and then he was raised to life once again on the third day. Paul begins there in this chapter. He makes it very clear. He's very concise. And the truth that he shares is power packed. That's verses three and four. Yet some in the community of faith in Corinth weren't buying it. They were saying, yeah, you know, this whole resurrection thing, I, I'm, I'm not really sure about that. I, I, need a little, I need a little bit more. So in the middle of the chapter, Paul writes that if there is no resurrection, the Christian faith is futile. It's pointless. If there is no resurrection, believers like you and me are still stuck in our sin. That's the backdrop. Now let's turn to today's text to see what it means for you and for me as we engage more deeply. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. It says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He establishes it one more time. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so all in Christ shall be made alive. Alive. Now Paul's wording might seem a little strange to us at first, but Paul's point is really, really clear because Jesus has been raised from the dead. All who are in Christ experience his victory. And you might say, well, what is the victory? What is this victory that we're speaking of? What is this victory that we're considering? Jesus' victory means that all believers are made alive. Everybody who is in Christ. And the language of the first fruits there speaks of the harvest. Of what God is bringing in. What God is reaping in that season. So just as the barley from the fields could not be used until it had actually been offered, so too the harvest of life could not come until Jesus had, in fact, been raised from the dead. So friends, the resurrection is nothing short of God's means of setting his people free. He sets us free. But there was one caveat in that text. Those first few verses, there was one caveat in that text. Did you guys catch it? Man is either in Adam, in his death, or he is in Christ, in life. He's either in Adam or he is in Christ. To be in Adam is to be like our first father. That means we are still dead in our sins against a holy and righteous God. 
We're connected with Adam, our first father in that sin, and we stay there. To be in Christ, massive difference. That means we repent of our sin. If this is sin and we are walking towards it, repentance means making a 180-degree turn going the other direction. We turn from it. We repent of our wicked ways, and we believe upon Jesus, the Christ. See, we can experience this by coming to faith in Jesus. We can experience this victory by receiving his sacrifice on our behalf. What he did on the cross matters for you and for me. We experience this victory by placing our faith in the risen Christ. In his classic book, Basic Christianity, author John Stott states it so clearly, so succinctly. I love what he says. He says, he, Jesus, died to take away our sins for the simple reason that we could not remove them ourselves. We couldn't do it. But Jesus can. And Jesus did. And because Jesus' victory becomes our victory as we believe in him, we can celebrate on Easter because his victory is our victory. Now, let's return to the text. Pick it back up at verse 23. But each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The language within that text is power-packed. It is aggressive. There is destroying, and there is ruling, and there is reigning. Those are all active things. And if they sound a little bit aggressive... They are. Rest assured, they are aggressive. That is the point of defeating one's enemies. That is the point of ruling over them. That is the point of reigning in power. Jesus' resurrection is this sort of victory. You see, because Jesus has been raised from the dead, Jesus stands over death. He's been victorious over it, and he's been victorious over any enemy of God. Jesus experiences the victory. Now, for many of us here today, you're kind of thinking, okay, wait a second, Pastor. It's Easter. I wanted something a little lighter. Didn't want something so intense. For many of us, we don't consider the intent side of God's character often enough because it's real. Rather than buying into this caricature of God that is all love and all grace all the time, I want to invite you to read the Old Testament. I want to invite you to read through the Old Testament and what you will find is that God cares deeply about his holiness and his majesty and those things should not be overlooked. 
He is a jealous God. He is a sovereign God. And he is passionate that his people walk in his ways. He cares deeply. Now, if you're part of our church family, you've heard us talk about Immerse, our Bible reading experience. We've mentioned it a lot from this stage lately. That's because our group has been reading the first five books of the Old Testament together. And what we have been doing is seeing God in new and fresh ways throughout those readings. You might say, well, wait a minute, that is really intense. It is. And yet what we are confronted with are the intense realities of our God again and again and again. And you know what it does for each one of us? It gives us an accurate view of a holy God. And everyone in there collectively has said, you know what? This is actually growing my faith. Why? Because when it comes to victory, our God is serious. Our God is serious. So when you and I consider the word that is translated destroy, we see that both in verse 24 and in verse 26. It means to cause something to come to an end. Now here is the great news. Through the resurrection, Jesus has rendered obsolete the ultimate power of Satan, the ultimate power of sin, and the ultimate power of death. That is what Jesus has destroyed. And that's where God's people say, amen. So this means practically, for you and for me, that if you were in Christ today by faith, you no longer have to cower to Satan and his attacks. If you are in Christ today, you no longer have to submit to sin and the temptations that draw you in. And you no longer have to fear the sting of death. Because Jesus' victory means all enemies will be defeated. All of them. I love the way one theologian captures this. He writes of our union with Christ. Here's what he writes. He says, Jesus Christ is not only the victim of Good Friday, he is also the victor on Easter Sunday. He is the victor over death and evil, and it is in his victory that we too are victors believer. There is victory in Jesus' resurrection. There is victory in the empty tomb. There is victory in the risen Christ. So, we've seen that Jesus' victory means that all who believe are made alive in him. Now we get to the point where we see that all enemies of God will be defeated. You'd say, Pastor, I've got those two things. Now we get to the final way that victory changes everything for all who believe. Let's look back at our text. Final segment. Pick it up at verse 27. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. 
Now, when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. It's a lot of subjection, isn't it? <laughs> you see, through the act of a physical death on a cross, and then being raised to a bodily resurrection, Jesus has completed the mission that he was sent to accomplish. He has completed what he was sent to do, and he has been raised to life anew. That's the reality. What the Father gave Jesus to do here on earth has been accomplished. That's why on the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. But this is a theological point that I don't want us to overlook. It's a theological point that matters for us today. Because when we read the words subjection and subjected and subjection and subjected and it keeps coming back and forth, you kind of get to the point where you're saying, okay, wait a second. I thought it was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that they are one God co-equals. That's what it means to worship a Trinitarian God. So when we look at the word subjection, what we're talking about is not his, his status. The status is equal. What we're talking about in this text is the role that Jesus takes. It is the role that Jesus fulfills within the Godhead. He is our redeemer. He is our rescuer because he is the one who came and died on the cross and is now raised to new life. And so this is why Jesus' victory means that all things will be reconciled to God forever. Forever. This is what the Apostle Paul means when he writes those words, all in all. That means all things will be reconciled to God for his praise and glory. Not just a few things, not just some things, not even a majority of things. All things, everything will be for his praise and his glory. All things. If you have captured the essence of the beauty of what we're talking about, of the beauty of what's in the future for us, as much as a fourth century theologian by the name of Augustine, in his classic work, The City of God, uh, I'm going to read a quote, and I want you to just kind of enter into it. Capture the imagery that is used by Augustine. Try to grasp the significance of what he's talking about. Here's what he writes. Who can measure the happiness of heaven where no evil at all can touch us? No good will be out of reach. Where life is to be one long laud extolling God. Where there will be no weariness to call to rest. No need to call for toil. No place for any energy but praise. God will be the source of every satisfaction. More than any heart can rightly crave, more than life and health, more than food and wealth, he will be the consummation of all our desiring. It's beautiful. 
And church, all of that lies in your future as a believer in Jesus Christ. Not because of any religious activity that you have done, not because of anything that I have done, rather because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross and coming from the tomb. You see, he sacrificed his life on the cross, paying the penalty that you and I could not pay. And what he did in that moment, he took upon the intensity of God. He took upon the wrath of God upon himself so that you and I wouldn't have to. That's the beauty of the cross. But death couldn't hold him. (laughs) The tomb could not contain him. Jesus was then raised to life once again. Again, that's where we say amen to Jesus. And so now as we close, allow me return us to the truth that we proclaimed at the beginning from the Apostles' Creed. Perhaps the statement might impact us in a fresh way. On the third day, he rose again from the dead and he ascended into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. You know, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it is not just that we say these words, but it is that we believe these words and we believe in their power. That we believe in the power because Jesus' victory impacts everything. So it is my hope on Easter Sunday that by God's grace, through your faith, Jesus' victory will truly impact everything in your life. Everything. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.